taking a very microscopic look at Isaiah 9-6 over the last few Sundays and the evening service. We want to continue that this evening. thought it would be good to uh, start by reading that verse in its entirety, and we can appreciate uh, the third description that it gives of our Lord in this verse. It says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of course, the significance of what's being said there goes on into verse 7, but uh, we'll stop there because we're, we're looking at these four different descriptions of Christ as is mentioned here, and we, we've already talked about how he is the wonderful counselor, and then last Sunday, the mighty God, and today we want to look at this, this very interesting description of Christ being the everlasting Father. General Douglas MacArthur was quoted by saying, By profession I am a soldier, and take pride in that fact. But I am prouder, infinitely prouder, to be a father. A soldier destroys in order to build. A father only builds, never destroys. The one has the potentialities of death, the other embodies creation of life. And while the hordes of death are mighty, the battalions of life are mightier still. It is my hope that my son, when I am gone, will remember me not from the battle, but in the home, repeating with him our simple daily prayer. I don't know that Douglas MacArthur was a believer, but I think he did speak truth as he gave that very salient quote that I just gave to you. Fatherhood it is a key support beam. It's, the, uh, it's that load-bearing wall, if you would, in the home, literally and figuratively, that holds up the structure of a family. Uh, that's not to say that the other roles aren't important, but uh, we have problems in families today largely because fathers are not assuming the roles that God would have them to take. If we want to see stronger homes, we need to equip and pray for our men to be the fathers that they need to be. It's not just enough to bring home a paycheck. That's not all that's involved in being a dad. The Bible does tell us if a man doesn't provide for his family, he's worse than an infidel. So that is part of that, but just bringing home the, the paycheck doesn't make him a, a good provider for his family. Family needs provided with so many other things. The best role model we have when it comes to how to be a father is to look at our our father above, if we would. Now, it's not surprising that the role of father is seen in God himself. In fact, we need to understand that we have the role of fathers in humanity because God is a father. The way we understand the triune God is that God is one distinct essence and yet he is three distinct and unique persons. There is one God, we understand that, 
And yet, he does exist in three separate persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They are co-equal. They are all equally God. They're not one-third God, one-third God, one-third God. It doesn't work that way. It's a dynamic that our finite minds have a hard time grasping because there really is not a great illustration or an analogy in real life that can represent it properly. I know when we were children that, you know, we try to do things like the egg. You know, there's three parts to it, the yolk, the shell, the white, but yet you can't say of each of those components that they're all 100% the egg. You know, there are three pieces of the egg. Well, it, God the Father is not just part of God. He is all God, and so the Son and the Holy Spirit. And as we read our Bibles, you know, we see references to God the Father. We see references to God the Son. We see references to God the Spirit. We see a lot of relationship between God the Son and his Father as he comes to earth and talks about his relationship with his Father. I've come to do the will of my Father that sent me. So it may seem very strange for us to be looking at a passage that's concerning the Messiah, and we know it's talking about the Messiah, and it is because what did the first part of the verse say? It's a a child is being born, a son is being given, the government's going to be upon his shoulder. Well, who is that? That's Jesus, right? That's Jesus Christ. Well, who is Jesus Christ in relationship to the triune God? He is God the Son, and yet here he's called the everlasting Father. So it might seem a little bit of a conundrum for us here in doing so. And yet there is a paternalness, there is a fatherliness, even to the Son. Consider a couple things. When the Bible talks about Christ in us as believers, we understand that he is in us in the person of the Holy Spirit. Bible, Bible says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And yet Jesus said, I'm going to go away. And he did go away, right? They watched him go up into heaven. And he said, I've got to go away so that I can send the comforted to you. And we, and we know that who is in us is the Holy Spirit because our body is that temple, 1 Corinthians 6 talks about, of the Holy Ghost, which is in us, which we have of God. We're not our own. And so is Christ in us? Well, Christ is in us in the person of the Holy Spirit, we would say. They represent one another in the triunity. Jesus even said with relation to his Father in John chapter 10, verse 30, I and my Father are one. So while they're distinct, you can't segment them apart entirely. So it's not a problem to look at Jesus, God the Son, and even think of him as the everlasting Father. So why would he be called the Father? Why not just give that strictly to God the Father? Well, a primary role of a father is to nurture. Ephesians 6, 4 charges dads, right? Talking about earthly dads now, earthly fathers. And that back and forth about, hey, children, you need to obey your parents, but 
But dads, you have a responsibility to your children to bring them up in the nurture of the Lord. Nurture and admonition of the Lord. Nurture. What does it mean to nurture? A nurturer is one who trains. Someone who looks at the person that's been given to them as a a solemn responsibility to prepare them. They lack knowledge. They lack experience. The nurturer is going to look at them and saying, okay, how can I train them? What can I say to them? What kind of experiences should I put them in? What kind of guidance should I give to them? How should I let them move along before I step in and intervene in situations? A dad does that for their children, right? You, you, you realize, you know, they need to mature. They need to step out a little bit. So you put them in those situations, and you come along and you teach. You prepare them in advance. Everything from getting them ready to drive a car. There's a, you don't just say, well, here's the keys. Figure it out, <laughs> you know. Uh, we wouldn't do that. Hopefully a good dad won't do that with any area of life. You know, you, you look at your children and say, mm, they're going to need help about relationships with other people. They're going to know how to handle their, their friends. They're going to need how to handle those that have animosity towards them. It's all part of the nurturing process that a good father does. He trains his child in all areas of life how to have good discipline, how to be a person that has honesty, to value the truth, to be a person of integrity, that people would look at them and say, hmm, they have character, that you would train them to be industrious, be hardworking, and on we could go, right? There's so much, and usually as dads, we realize it's at the time that they're getting married and they're leaving home, you realize, hmm, but there's, there's so much more, you know? Did, did I instill enough in them? Did I nurture them properly? And really, even after they leave home, that, that role doesn't end entirely. You continue to nurture them over the phone and visits, even into their adulthood, even when they start their own home, there's still a nurturing that's going on. Within the role as a nurturer is the providing of a a trusted care. You know, children are completely vulnerable. You know, they, they come in just babies, infants. Everything has to be done for them, right? But as they grow up as children into adulthood all that time, I mean... They're counting on there being food in the fridge. Uh, they're counting on that they're going to have clothes. They're, gonna, they're counting on these things. And, and so there's a, there's a faith there. There's a trust in their own care. Do you have their best interest at heart? That is why in Genesis chapter 45 and verse 8, it's the story of Joseph, the Joseph of the coat of many colors. And he's in Egypt. And he's now at the end of that story, sort of, where he's been gotten out of prison by God's providence, and he's been made the second most powerful man in Egypt. Why? Because he could interpret Pharaoh's dream and warn them about the coming famine and the need to prepare for it. And it's interesting in Genesis 45, verse 8, 
because it says that God made Joseph a father unto Pharaoh. Well, it's more than likely that Pharaoh outdistanced Joseph in years. And Pharaoh was still in charge. Joseph came in as number two. And so you think, in what capacity, in what way was Joseph a father to Pharaoh? And the answer is, he provided trusted care. Here was Pharaoh. He didn't even know there was a famine coming. He didn't even know that was on its way until God worked through Joseph. And he basically turns the entire plan for the success in the enduring of his nation over to this young fellow that he's really just meeting. And where have you been, Joseph? Oh, you've been in prison. Well, hey, you've got a great resume, right? It's pretty staggering. And remember, even before that, Joseph was in this stewardship business for Potiphar. And it mentions Potiphar that he didn't even really know what was going on in his own house. He had such trust in Joseph in so many ways. And so all this to kind of frame for us that the role of a father is also played out by Christ in the way that he trains us and the way that he provides trusted care for us all our lives. This, this babe, this child that was born, he is the everlasting father. He is the eternal nurturer for each of us as believers. So when God is seen in that role, the focus is mostly on his nurturing those in his keeping. So what can we learn from this? What can we learn from seeing Christ, Jesus, as this eternal nurturer? One thing is that Christ as our permanent nurturer rejoices to see the addition of his children. Now you think of it basically, what does a father need? He needs children. And a father that really loves his children is going to enjoy more children as they come along. Each one is a blessing. Each one is unique. We're excited for the arrival of each child that comes along. I mean, when God gave us our firstborn, Sarah, that was a very special day. But it was a very special day when Deborah came along. It was a special day when Caleb came along. They were all special because all of the children brought joy into our lives. It's also continuing through subsequent generations. You know, when you get to that place of being grandparents and some people that are great-grandparents, you know, the adding of children. Isaiah 43, verse, or 53, rather, verse 10, teaches us that although it may seem odd that the father was pleased to bruise his son, it was because of the, the wonderful results that would come from the suffering of his son. That's what it was. It wasn't that God was like, yeah, you know, can't wait to see him wince in pain. No, he was looking beyond that, just like Jesus was looking beyond the cross to what it was going to accomplish. So the father was doing that. And it says in Isaiah 53, verse 10, one of those results is he shall see his seed. He, 
Christ going and facing that realizes, but because of this, there is going to be this wonderful legacy. There's going to be this wonderful family tree, spiritually speaking, that's going to develop. Christ lives and witnesses the expansion of his seed every day. There is joy in the presence of the angels when one sinner repents. And I've often thought that it's interesting. It doesn't say there is joy, you know, by the angels, but it says there is joy in the presence of the angels. Is that perhaps Jesus himself rejoicing and the angels witnessing Jesus saying, yes, another child is added. How exciting that is. The commentator Barnes mentioned this. There may be emphasis on the word see. He shall see his posterity, for it was regarded as a blessing not only to have posterity, but be permitted to live and see them. Hence the joy of the aged Jacob in being permitted to see the children of Joseph in Genesis 48, verse 11. It says, And Israel said unto Joseph, I had not thought to see thy face, and lo, God hath showed me also thy seed. Here's this elderly man thinking that he would never see Joseph again. He thought he was dead. Not only does he get to see his son Joseph, he gets to see the children of Joseph, his grandchildren through him. That was a great day for Jacob, great day for Israel. You know, as we have baptisms here, you know, can you imagine the elation? Can you imagine the celebration in heaven that there is someone that is snatched from the family of Satan, from the presence of darkness, that the there is triumph of the Lamb of God again in the life of a single soul brought into the fold by the redemptive work of Christ that his work is not in vain. Another brother or sister added to the family of God. Hallelujah. You know that Christ in his paternal sentiment is excited to see the addition of children into the spiritual family. Secondly, Christ as our permanent nurturer provides us with ongoing gentility. Now, I know not every earthly father has a gentle side, but we understand that the, the blueprint of Scripture describes what ought to be expected. This doesn't mean that there isn't a masculinity. You can be very masculine and still have a gentility about yourself, a tenderness. Why do we say that? Because Psalm 103, verse 13 says, Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. You know, sometimes people think there's a dad and he's pushing his children, you know, and he might think, well, you know, doesn't he have any compassion? Well, that dad in his heart probably does have great compassion. It's his pity for them to look beyond the discomfort they're facing at that exact moment, knowing that this will help equip them for a greater challenge down the road. That's why I've often thought, you know, dads make great coaches when it comes to sports. 
you know, because, you know, there's that, that dad heart that coaches can have, you know, and, and look at those, those team members like, like they're his kids. Push them, you know, get all they can out of them, you know, motivate them. And it may seem he's being harsh, but actually he's equipping them, preparing them for harder days. Isn't that what a father does spiritually as well? Sometimes we might have a day and we think, God, do you like me? You're being a little tough. You know, maybe it's, it's the practice round. Maybe it's the training. And there is gentility. There is pity. Because God says, I'm, I, am, I am bringing this into your life. And I'm really being gentle because... Something else is coming later on. The word pitieth is not just feeling sorry for them, but literally the Hebrew word means to soothe them. The idea might also be the idea of picking a father picking up his wounded child, providing comfort after a traumatic event. For the little one, it might be a tricycle accident, you know, and you swoop him up in your arms and could be the dejected, disappointed son or daughter after a sporting event that is just crushed because, you know, they, they blew it somehow. And there's the, the arm around that child to kind of bolster them and encourage them. It could be that they've been abandoned by a friend. It could be an adult child that's gone through a breakup in a relationship and a father who pities is a father who soothes, has that gentle, kind, caring spirit. You know, when we come to the New Testament, we are reminded of the gentle, consoling spirit of Christ. All believers can appreciate that in him. For instance, in 2 Thessalonians 2, 16 and 17, it says, Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us, and hath given us, and here's the next phrase, everlasting consolation. What is that? That is soothing that never ends. That is the spiritual arm around the shoulder. That is God picking us up when we have been injured. He has given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace Comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. So it works like this. You find yourself really getting off track in your faithful walk with the Lord. It happens, unfortunately. And it doesn't take much, does it, for us to just begin to move off of the main path. Fortunately, the Holy Spirit stays with us, right? He doesn't leave us. He's inside, resonating. And through that work, we realize, I've been wrong. And hopefully the next thing is that we do is we repent. Change our minds that leads to a change of actions. And Christ restores every single time. There is never, God is faithful. Amen. If we confess... He is faithful. Write, mark it down, friend. There's not going to be that times like, you know what? 
you run out of your list, you run out of your, your opportunities of second chances, friend. God doesn't handle us that way. Amen. The offense is always put away. Always. Folks, what kind of consolation is that? Just bask in that for a minute. I was able to come to God. I was in the wrong. I asked his forgiveness, and he forgave me and restored me. He set my feet back on that rock again. It's of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. Lamentations 3.22 tells us. So what is the point of our restoration? Just say, hey, it's good to be back in the good graces of God. Well, it is, but it's not just so we can just kind of sit and soak it in. Because at the end of 1 Thessalonians 2.17, it said that he established us in what? Every good word and work. He wants us to come back to that life of service. He wants us to not only be getting the good word into us and enjoying the good work, but this is the idea is it's time to get back busy serving me, Jesus is saying. But how does that come about? It's through the gentility of Christ. He doesn't have to be harsh. doesn't take the lightning bolt, right? It's the goodness of of God that leads us to repentance. You know, you just start seeing Jesus and you realize, shame, shame on me. He has, I have been a so-and-so and he's been nothing but good. How can I not come back to him? You see, there's that gentility in his paternal nature. Thirdly, Christ as our permanent nurturer perpetually bestows blessings on us. It doesn't stop. And, you know, the Bible even tells us that he, he causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. A good father is also a cheerful giver. He avidly engages in the greater blessing of giving. It is, it is, it is good. It is a, a blessedness to receive. We know that because we like receiving but it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. And a father knows how to give. Fathers enjoy witnessing the elation of their children. You know, I'll enjoy getting some gifts. I've already enjoyed getting some gifts. But my greater joy as a dad is being able to give. And to see the pleasure, the appreciation, the understanding that this is making a positive impact Seeing the, hey, a thoughtful gift was given. Ultimately, all blessings originate with our divine parent above. All blessings. You say, well, this, this blessing came through, you know, my friend over here. Well, directly, but indirectly, never forget that God's hand brought that gift about even so. James 1.17 says... Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above. Cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither is a shadow of turning. This is why we are instructed to pray in this manner in Matthew 6, 9. Our Father, which art in heaven. And then he goes on to say, give us this day our daily bread. Why? I, I earned, I got a paycheck. I went out and bought groceries. That's where my daily bread came from. 
Did God give you the opportunity to get that job instead of someone else? Did God give you the physical strength to keep working? Could you have had a brain aneurysm that lay on your back? Remember, it's of the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed. So it's God's goodness every day. Christ, as the everlasting Father, longs to bestow blessings on us. Philippians 4.19, we know it well, right? But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory. But then don't forget this phrase, by who? Christ Jesus. He's the nurturer. He's the one. God is supplying it by Christ. So what need do you have tonight? Could be something of a physical nature. It could be something of wisdom. It could be some spiritual struggle you're going through. Some emotional issue. Whatever it is, by Christ Jesus, God's going to supply that need. That is a promise. So come to Christ. Come to him in a spirit of faith. Remember the centurion there in Matthew chapter 8? Here's a Gentile. Often the Gentiles really shone in the presence of, as far as their faith, right? They put a lot of the, the Jewish people almost to shame as far as really getting it. Now, there, there were only a few of them, mind you, that, but they're highlighted. But when they show up, it's like, wow, here's this centurion. He's got a servant. He's on death's door. He's like, you know, Jesus of Nazareth, he can help. And so he informs Jesus of the need. He tells him of the need. He implores him for his help. And he honors him by expressing the faith that he needs, that Jesus, all you've got to do is but speak the word only. You don't need to follow me back to my house. You know, I mean, if you wanted to, you could come back and put hands on him. But honestly, I'm sure, you know, I don't know if he was thinking, I'm sure you're a busy guy. You've got someplace else to be. I really don't want to interrupt your schedule. And, and, and me knowing who you are and what you can do, just take a moment here and just speak the word. Your servant is healed and it'll be done. Christ commented on the man's faith, commended him for his faith. You know, when Christ fills your greatest need, his storeroom of aid notices no depletion. You might think, I've got a big need in my life. It's not a challenge for Christ. There won't even be a dent, seemingly speaking. He's got eternal reservoir of aid for us. His supply is eternal. We can come to him again and again. He wants us to come to him again and again. Your Father, which is in heaven, is able to give you good gifts, Matthew 7, 11 tells us. So will he not be honored when you come to him? And you come to him often, and you come to him in faith, believing that he alone can really be the one who meets your needs? Isn't that a spirit of worship? Isn't God glorified? Isn't Christ lifted up when we do that? He certainly is. 
So let us not picture the nurture of Christ as being just piles of presents. Oh, you know, Christ, he nurtures. So we're going to have a, a really special Christmas with lots of goodies under the tree. Let's not even picture it with just creature comforts, you know? It's easy for us to be really at ease and comfortable and thinking, you know, well, you know, this demonstrates, you know, Christ nurtures. Let's don't look at the tables of delicious food and just think of that as Christ nurturing only. Now, all of those things, of course, we understand are included in Christ being one who nurtures because every good gift comes from him. But what about the believer that's in poverty who has barely enough food to live on every day? And there are many of our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world that fall into that category, folks. We would ask, is Christ an eternal nurturer for them? And we know that he is. Perhaps Christ is showing him that greater blessing of having meat of which others do not know. Remember how Jesus said to the woman of Cana at the well? And the disciples had left him. Why? They went in town to get lunch. They went to get a to-go order and bring it back. Jesus stayed. They showed up with the food. They probably rushed back thinking he's going to be, you know, starving. And Jesus words to them, I've got meat that you know not of. What did they think? Someone slipped him a sandwich while we were gone. That's what they thought. That wasn't what he was talking about. He was talking about his meat being to do the will of his father that sent him. And folks, I wonder if sometimes, and I suspect that it's true, some of our dear brothers and sisters that have empty bellies and poor health conditions may know more experientially of doing the work of their father, that spiritual meat like Jesus was talking about to the woman at the well. Knowing the nurturing of the everlasting father in the person of Jesus Christ. And so tonight, as we think of our Savior, come into the world, this son that is given unto us, this child that was born, what a privilege it is to have him in our lives as that permanent nurturer. And not just for the things that are tangible, but more importantly, for those spiritual things in our lives that make all the difference. Shall we pray? Dear Father in heaven, we thank you for God the Son. We thank you that in a very real way, he is also the everlasting Father. Thank you for the nurturing nature of Jesus. Thank you that as we come as humble children before you, that your graciousness is never exceeded by our problems and our needs. So, Father, tonight we worship you, we lift you up, we magnify you, we thank you, Jesus Christ, for your compassion, 
We thank you for your gentility. We thank you for your training of us, your care of us. And so, Lord, may we carry these wonderful truths with us in rejoicing them as we even part from this place tonight. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.